Friends, good morning, and I hope that in this space, in this time, right this minute, your heart feels attuned to Almighty God. I'm grateful for Nick's leadership and the band's leadership to steward our heart's attention to the very thing that we are here to do, and that is to commune with the maker of heavens and earth. And so I pray for you and myself this morning that as we've sung those words, run to the Father, that those wouldn't be merely words, but those would be words of encouragement to your soul right here and right now. What a gift. Have you ever tried to convince someone of something that is going to be really good for them? Like, it's going to be really good. Not that you think they would like, but you know that it's going to be really, really good for them. And they don't listen to you. That's happened to all of us, right? Has it happened to you? Yes. What was that like for you? How did that feel when you're like, I know this is going to be really good for you. Please, please do this or try this or, or, or take this advice and they don't listen to you. How do you feel when they don't do it? Are you frustrated? <laughs> I am. I get frustrated. And I'm sure my wife would go, guess what? Evan doesn't listen to me either. And it frustrates me. This is the kind of experience that sets us up for our journey today. And as we continue our study in the book of Luke, this very thing is what we are going to experience, that Jesus is going to experience as we walk through a lot of text this morning. The title of this sermon is The Great Obstacle to the Kingdom of God. And I've given it this title because we're going to come across Jesus' teachings in some parables that I believe actually show us the most clear picture of Jesus' very heart for you and for me and for the people that he is teaching that, than we see in any other parable in the Gospels. We'll see Jesus' heart the clearest. Now, as we've been studying Luke's account, and as Alan has been preaching through this, and I think we're on part 8,542, we've been in here for a long time. But now, as we've seen, and I hope that you have seen this too, is what's happening to Jesus as his teaching starts to get way more focused. As Jerusalem is coming, as he's heading towards it, his sights are on Jerusalem, his teaching becomes far more pointed and far more urgent. And that's what we will find today as well. But we find an obstacle to Jesus' teaching. What's the great obstacle to entering the kingdom of God? Perhaps the answer comes to you immediately. I know. Perhaps it doesn't. Perhaps you go, uh, A, B, C, D, E, F. There's a million reasons why 
it's hard to come into the kingdom of God. I believe that when we study the text this morning, we are going to discover the answer to that question. And it's going to be all over the text today. So I invite you. So here's your job this morning. This is what I want you to participate in as you hear the word of God and as you think about it and you read it and you listen to me talk. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think. I invite you. Think this morning. What is it as we read the text As I'm reading the text today, what is the great obstacle that I see Jesus presenting over and over and over again? And I don't have a surprise for you if you get it right. But I'm hoping that it will be an encouragement and a challenge to you today. We have a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to begin, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, verse 31. So Pull that up on your phone, on your iPad. You can follow along behind me. But I am going to start in our journey this morning there in Luke chapter 13, verse 31. So I'm going to read. You can follow along with me as I read. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to to Jesus and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures and Today and tomorrow, in the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is confronting the obstacle to his mission. Luke shows us over and over again in all of his accounts that Jesus longs for his people to live in the kingdom of God. He longs for them to do that. That's his singular mission, to bring people into his kingdom, to forgive them of their sins. Now, what is the kingdom of God, you might ask? You don't need to turn there, but I just want to point to Acts chapter 1, 6 verses 8. And this is right before Jesus is ascending into heaven and his disciples ask him this very question. And they say, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they see it as a physical kingdom. And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. See, the kingdom of God is a spiritual and a physical kingdom. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And so Jesus' presence on earth has inaugurated his kingdom as it's starting to go forward in a physical way and in a spiritual way. But it's not fully here. We see this reality in the Lord's prayer. What does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Your kingdom come. So there's an idea that it's not fully here yet as well. So the kingdom of God is being made known wherever God's people are. 
And the Great Commission is the call to advance that spiritual and physical kingdom, right? That is the thing that is to advance the kingdom of God where Jesus is the king. So we find Jesus in this light here this morning. He's longing for Jerusalem, his chosen people. He longs for them to put their faith in him as their savior and as their king. And this singular mission is what will propel us into the main part of our time today. So I want us to just consider the text we just read. The text shows us that Jesus is with some Pharisees. These are the leaders of the time, and they're warning Jesus. Maybe that comes as a, maybe you're like, the Pharisees are warning Jesus? Do they have some compassion? Do they have some care for Jesus that they want to protect him? Is that what's going on? Elsewhere we see that is not the case ever for the Pharisees. But here in the account of Luke, We don't know. It doesn't say. Whether or not their intention is that, we we recognize the tension here. I love Jesus' response to their warning for Jesus. If they were trying to care for him, here's Jesus' response. He says, you tell that fox. Which could have been a jab at King Herod. The term for fox could mean someone of little significance, or it could also mean in those times a deceiver or destroyer. I think it makes sense that it could be both of those things. Either way, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going there. He's not worried about a king. An earthly king is not the obstacle to the kingdom of God. Jesus knows without a shadow of a doubt, his purpose is to die, and he is going there. He's committed to that. He's going to the cross for the sins of the world. And so Jesus says this, I'm going to continue to perform healings and casting out of demons. In fact, Jesus, to their warning, goes, here's my specific mission. Here's my itinerary, and this is what I'm going to do. Thanks, but I'm on my way. But we should take note of something, too. Take note of Jesus here. We see frustration. Do you see it? What's he frustrated at in this text? See, Jesus would identify now just like any of the other prophets in the Old Testament. He shows God's care, his deep love, his compassion, his intimate desire for his people who are listening to him. He's longing for them, just like the prophets did, to respond to God. And God's people all over the Old Testament do not respond well to God's prophets. And they don't respond well to Jesus. He sees the obstacle to the kingdom. And this is why Jesus is frustrated. In fact, we'll see again in five more chapters. Jesus is not just frustrated. We read in Luke's account as he's looking at Jerusalem, he's very close at this point. It says Jesus is not only frustrated, he weeps. What do we weep for? Deep hurt and pain. Deep longing This is Jesus looking at his people. It says in Luke 19, and when he drew near to the city, he wept over it saying, would that you had even known on this day the things that make for peace. And it's him. Jesus is perpetually frustrated by the lack of response to him. Yet Jesus is resolved. Jesus is not deterred. 
Let's continue following Jesus on this mission. Look in chapter 14. We're going to read two separate accounts together, verses 1 through 11. So follow me in that. And it says, One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took them, took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited to someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The obstacle shows itself again. We see Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath and then teaching a parable about the wedding feast. Let's look at the healing on the Sabbath first. The Pharisees are not an enigma to Jesus in this place. He's not surprised by any of their motives or intents here. He knows their strategy. We talked about that a little bit already. Look at the end of verse one. They're watching him closely. I think in our terms, we would call that creepy. Have you ever noticed what that's like when someone's like all up on you and just paying attention to all of your business? Feels really suffocating. You're standing in a line anywhere and you're just like, you can just see, you don't even have to look at them, you can just feel they're just like staring at you and you're like, gosh, ugh, please stop. Jesus knows that. Why are they so intent? Take note, he's in a Pharisee's home. He's eating a meal with those who are typically seeking to catch him and trap him. And discredit him. I think it shows us the compelling nature of this Jesus. He had their attention. For better, for worse, he was a powerful force. And they want to catch him. And so they're almost like, I can imagine this. They're like frothing at the mouth. Because if you've been following any of the accounts, they're like, this Jesus just cannot help himself. He is going to do something and screw something up. And we're going to be there. We're going to point it out. Because we're intently watching him, trying to catch him. This Jesus, he can't help himself. He's just gonna do it. So they're sitting around the table going, he asked a question. He's gonna do something. We're gonna get him and we're gonna be there. So there was a man who had dropsy. Why is he here? Why is this man here? Is he a pawn in the Pharisees game? Was he invited? Now, at that time, it was not uncustomary that uninvited guests would show up, but this is interesting. And I think there's a clue here. The word behold shows us that it seems like this could be potentially a setup. Behold, that it was a surprise. Here's this man. Why is he here? Think about that. The cruel intentions of these people to use a man like this who's suffering, clearly. Now, dropsy is a shameful condition 
And, and, and some would note at that time, its symptoms would be like you would have these swollen limbs and swollen tissue, excess fluid in your body all over the place. And other rabbis at that time would take note of the condition of dropsy. They would have viewed that as a sign or a signal of some sort of like sexual offense. And so this is their due penalty for what they've done sexually. So they would have been viewed, this man would have been viewed as someone who has done something wrong and he's getting God's judgment. He's unclean. That's what that would be like. Imagine that man. Think of those leaders. The trap's set. How's this going to play out? Jesus makes the first move. He asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Pharisees move. Silence. Why silence? Did the Pharisees not know the answer to that question? These are the religious leaders of the time. These are the guys, these are the seminary dudes who would have it all figured out. I can tell you anything about everything, and I love to do that. These were those guys. Silence? They don't know if it's lawful or not, what to do on the Sabbath. I bet Jesus is like, hmm, silence, huh? Well, if they had said no, they give up. Jesus doesn't take the trap. He doesn't take the bait, right? Jesus is moved. He acts. He heals. Notice the word here. I love this. It says he took the man. If you read a little bit more about that word, the word took means it's this physical embrace. It's this squeezing, this kind of intense physical contact. In other places in the scripture, it's used for the word of seizing or arresting someone. What do you do when that happens? You grab somebody. That's what Jesus does with this unclean, sexually, potentially sexually promiscuous dude who's at the table and they all know that he's unclean and unrighteous. Jesus pulls him and he's got excess fluid all over his body. He pulls him close and he heals him. And he sends him on his way. Jesus is like, let's get to the point here, fellas. The problem Jesus is confronting is the same obstacle that we're going to see over and over and over again. There's an obstacle to the kingdom of God. Jesus confronts the obstacle, but nothing changes. The Pharisees remain silent, betraying once again the obstacle to the kingdom of God. Even a miracle in front of their very own eyes. Get this, get this over and over again. Even a miracle in front of their very own eyes doesn't change anything for them. It betrays what the problem already is. It proves it further. And Jesus knows this. Nevertheless, we will not deter Jesus. He confronts the obstacle in a different light in the parable of the wedding feast that we read. Note this. Jesus is observing how we behave in this wedding feast. He's noting the frenetic energy of the people that have been invited to this feast and all of the people clamoring into this party to get there. He's simply observant. He's always paying close attention to people's interactions with him and with each other and with people in themselves, their own heads and hearts and how they respond. He's always observing. And Jesus is saying, why do you choose what's best for yourself? 
customary in that time in later Judaism, you would have a table like this would be set up like a U. And so the host who would ever invite you to this table and to this party, there would be this U-shaped table. And the guests of honor, when you'd be invited, the guests of honor would be seated to the left and to the right of the host. And the host would be seated right at the middle. So if the U starts here, I, if I'm the host, I'm sitting here, honor on my left, honor on my right, and then the table goes out here. And guess what Jesus is noting? There's no names on the table saying, so-and-so sit here, so-and-so sit here. Guess what? They're all running to these spots and taking a seat. He's just noting that. Imagine Jesus at a party. Hey, got two things for you guys real quick. Just, uh, hey, you're selfish and you're inclusive. Fun guy at the party, right? See, the idea of inclusivity and, and outward focus at a feast is all over the Bible. Isaiah 25, the Gospels, Revelation, shows this idea. Jesus is using a metaphor for the very thing that is coming for us, a feast. And he's pointing that out here, and he's saying, listen, I'm preparing a lavish banquet for all peoples, and this is an invitation-only place to the people who you want to invite, and you take the seats that are best for you. Jesus is pointing out, listen, don't be self-serving. Don't do it. You're self-serving in the invitations. How? Because you know you'll get something back from your friends or the rich people you'll invite. Maybe you'll invite me back and then we'll be good because great, I'm, I invited you, you invite me. So man, now we're, now we're good. Thanks for that, man. I was expecting that. Didn't need to say it out loud, but thank you. I appreciate that. Or, or hey, I want to invite you because man, you make me look better around all these other people. Guess who doesn't make me look better socially or status-wise? The poor, the lame, the crippled. They, they don't boost my social status. And Jesus is saying, why don't you invite them? They can't pay you back in any way, financially, status-wise. Let's move to verses 12 through 24. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. I can't wait to come back to that. But he said to him, a man once gave a banquet and invited me. <laughs> Jesus, I will stop here. Jesus. I think Jesus has kind of a sense of humor. Man, this guy's like, oh, I get the answer, I get the answer. And Jesus like, doesn't answer. He just keeps talking. He's like, okay, moving on. A man once gave a banquet. And you're like, oh, I thought I had the right answer. And at that time, the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have a married wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. Still there's room. Imagine the cowering servant. And the master said to the servant, Go to the highways and the hedges compel people 
to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. We've already noticed the guy who suddenly gets the answer right for once. Ooh, ooh, blessed is everyone who eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus is like, you're not wrong. His point, though, is going this. The banquet's ready. Preparations had all been made. I mean, think about this. In, in Jewish times and in our times, this is almost the same, right? If I'm having a big feast, if you're setting something up, you send out invitations. That was the same back then. Customary to them in that time, if they were going to have a big feast like this was going to be a big banquet, they would have sent out invitations and people would have already accepted them because you know why? They had to figure out how much food they needed to have, just like we do. So they didn't have Evites or sign-up geniuses, but they had something similar, I'm sure. It's not as cool, not as fancy, not as colorful. Oh, but they, 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 they had to know who was coming. So they would have accepted the invitation because then they would say like, hey, if two or four people are coming, well, maybe we'll, we'll have to kill a chicken. And if there's more than four people, maybe it's a duck. If they had even like 10 or above customary at that time, they would get into something different. And if it was a lot of people, they would go, okay, now we got to move for the calves. We got to, so they would know like, hey, I've got to go kill an animal to get ready for this feast. And so I already know why I'm killing this animal is to feed this amount of people. That's what's happening here. We, we get that. You get that. Invitations have already been RSVP'd to. But excuses. Bought a field. Got some property. More important. Bought some oxen. I got some stuff. (laughs) More important. I got married. Relationship. More important. Duh. Pay attention to Jesus' voice, guys. Look at verse 17. You hear joy as Jesus is saying this to people. Come. Everything is now ready. Come on in. I can't wait for you to taste what I've prepared. Enjoy. Come on in. It's ready. Do you hear the joy? You hear the eagerness? You know what that's like? Look at verse 18. You hear the sadness in Jesus' voice as he must have been teaching this? Verse 18 says, But they all alike began to make excuses. Sadness. Verse 23, you hear the longing in Jesus' voice? Don't miss it. Go to the highways, go to the hedges, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. What, guys, what is keeping people from coming in to the banquet? This brings us back to the main question. What is the great obstacle to the kingdom of God? What is it? ourselves. It's me. It's me. It's, it's you. It's them. It's our hearts. The 
See, we really base our decisions about life and religion, really everything, including God. We really, on our own, we base those on what our opinions are, our way. You hear Frank Sinatra singing, I believe my way. We're Americans, man. It's what we do. It's me. I got this. It's my opinion. I already know. Jesus is constantly confronting the reality that we aren't interested in what God thinks or what God wants. We care most about what we think. I care more about what I want. We see it in the parable of the Sabbath healing in verses one through six of chapter 14. Healing the man with dropsy on the Sabbath was an attempt to break the obstacle of self by appealing to compassion. But what were the Pharisees concerned with? They were concerned with what they thought. They knew what they wanted they knew what was best concerning the kingdom of the God school. All they needed to do was just trap Jesus and just show him and point out they had it right, not Jesus. It was their view of the Sabbath. They weren't interested in God's view of that, even though the presence of God was right in front of them. Oh, no, 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 I, I got it. I know this. I'm good. You're the problem, not me. See, the Pharisees' hearts are the obstacle to God's kingdom. Their own lack of compassion just magnifies what is already true about them. See, Jesus knows compassion for you and for me and for the Pharisees. It requires humility. A heart looking to the interests of other people, longing to go, God, help me to see what you see, not for me to make you understand what I already see. And that's the Pharisees' heart, and that is my heart. That is your heart. We're not curious to what's going on around us or how we might be of help to anyone else because we already know what's going on. Genuine compassion requires, requires care for someone else than me. See the man with dropsy? You remember the woman with the disabling spirit, the man with the withered hand? Jesus constantly knew that all of these things were pointing to questions of the heart of whom do you serve? And that's why miracles didn't even matter. We see in other parables, they're like, man, just go tell them. Would you please tell the guy who's in hell? He's like going, please tell them. And he's going, even if I went, they wouldn't listen. Do you see where he's, Jesus is getting this from? You watched a miracle and you still cared more about you than me. Frustration from Jesus. See, Jesus himself, he tells him even then, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. They didn't care. They cared about what they wanted. Their own hearts were the obstacle. We see in the parable of the wedding feast in verses seven through 11, we care most about what is best for us. I care about me, numero uno. It's about me. That's the kingdom that I wanna live in, my kingdom. And this is true today, just as it was back then. Nothing has changed. Customs have changed. The heart is exactly the same then as it is now. I care about me. I don't need help thinking about myself. I will move to it. I'll take the best seat. Ask my kids. Oh, 
I'll move to the place of honor. Oh, would this make me look better? Oh, how about now? without considering anyone else. I will do that. That's default for Evan. The poor, the crippled, the lame, they're the ones to be invited and they can't repay. That's Jesus' point. The invitation to the feast has nothing to do with what we get. If we're looking for repayment in any form, we've missed the point. Jesus actually promises later on in that where he says, I will give you, if you act this way, if you invite those people, I promise you in the resurrection, you'll get far more than you could ever imagine. And yet I'm going, I don't, I don't believe that. Let me get mine now. Jesus tells us what it looks like in God's kingdom. Every bit of his teaching is aimed towards what his kingdom looks like. Blessed are the meek, the gentle, the lowly. Blessed are the merciful, the compassionate, right? We've read these before. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We know that, right? If you've read the Bible, you get it. You're like, check, 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 got it. But I have my own sermon and I think maybe some of you guys do too. Blessed are those who think highly of themselves. Blessed are those who take first for themselves and then maybe others might get some scraps, but certainly not what's best. I get that. Blessed is that person. <laughs> Blessed are the sure for they know everything. Blessed are those who argue their perspective and never seek to understand those who they disagree with. The kingdom of self affirms this as good and straining and striving for power, comfort, and well-being. It strives for self, and that is the obstacle to the kingdom of God ourselves. Sin puts us at the center. We are saying to Jesus, look, I heard your sermon and I like it fine, but I prefer mine. Let me share mine to you now. Look, Jesus, this is the way. Listen to what I long for in my kingdom. And so we, just like the invited guests to the wedding, take these places of honor and we invite those who can repay us, invite those in return that can give us something back. Maybe not all the time, but it's there in our hearts somewhere. We don't have to look super hard for that to see where that comes out for each and every one of us in our own hearts. Why didn't I get recognized? Why didn't I get that? Why didn't I? I deserve. And we see in the parable of the great banquet, look at the excuses made for what is really important to those people. I have land I needed to go to. I have oxen. I just got married. You know what these excuses are? They are excuses, but you know what they are? They're lies. Jesus is presenting us with lies about why we can't come or won't come and heed his invitation. I bought land in our day is like being invited to someone's house and then in 30 minutes calling and saying, sorry, I just bought a house. I'm on my way to your house, but hey, I actually can't come now because I bought a house for the first time. I haven't seen it yet. So I, I, I need to go get that. I need to go check that out. Now I know we live in Northern Virginia, so some people do this. Like one of us. <laughs> we don't do that. Yo, sorry, Ugh, I'm just gonna make it, but I just bought a house. I'm gonna go look at it now that I bought it. Hmm. Hmm. Really? 
Or like the rich person who bought the yoke of oxen. In our day, that would be like kind of saying, I just bought a used car now. I'm on my way, by the way. Oh, hey, sorry, Ev, I, I can't make it. Um, I've come in, but I decided to buy a used car. And I just, but I got to go check, make sure it starts. So, sorry, please excuse me. Not likely. <laughs> this last one's great. I think this last one is one where you're like, this one, how could you argue with Jesus on this one? Deuteronomy 24, 5 says, the Jewish custom of marriage makes one free from major responsibilities for a year. Get that. Let's get that one here going, guys. Stace, let's get married again. When a man, this is Deuteronomy 24, 5, when a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home for one year and be happy with his wife for whom he has taken. This guy has got all the time in the world to go to a party. And he uses his marriage, his year off as an excuse. It's a lie. It's not really true. So I ask you again, have you ever tried to convince someone, this is so good for you. This is really good for you. Please listen to me, please. Have you ever done that? Do you remember that? Remember that feeling and they don't listen? Here it is for Jesus. Here it is for Jesus. Here it is for you and me today. We are confronted with ourselves this morning. And so as we wrap up our time, I want us to do some reflection and I want us to think. I want us to think about these excuses that we have just seen in this last section. This is, this is, this is participation time for you and me. Where might you be in relation to God? Do you know him? Would you say as the invited guest, yeah, I know him, he knows me, he's got my address, he sent it to me. We know each other. Might you be making excuses for why you actually don't fully follow or submit to God's ways? Jesus knows our excuses conceal a more fundamental problem. The real reason we don't follow Jesus is often buried underneath our excuses for why we, like those in the parable, won't come to the feast. Here's the reflection time for us. Now, Many genuinely have struggles. Hear me. Don't write me back and say, Evan, how dare you? You've missed. These are genuine struggles. I have had them. I know many who have had these. Like veracity of scripture. Is it truthful? How can we trust it? Is God really real? Did Jesus, was he really a real person and stuff like that? Did he do the problem of evil in the world? Like, listen, guys, those are real real deep struggles and issues. I get it. But there are those of us who just don't like what it would mean to follow Jesus because it's gonna be costly to us. And it would mean a change in how we live our lives. So we don't really take the invitation to go in God's banquet. We make up excuses now, now, here's the thing. Grace Hill, hear me. 
We would never say these things out loud. We would never say them out loud, but we believe them in our hearts. So some sort of excuse might go like this for you as it has for me plenty of times. Hey, hey, thanks for the invite. Jesus, appreciate it. Um, oh, I have some intellectual and philosophical challenges with some of your teachings and don't square up creation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I've, got some, I've got some challenges. With that. You're a great teacher though. But what we're really saying is I don't want to even think about dealing with a reality where I actually have to answer to God in any way, shape, or form. Please excuse me. Or, Jesus, thanks for the invite. But, um, and, and oh, oh, really, I love you, Jesus. I really do. I like you. I think your teachings are great. I love what you have to say. In fact, I even can quote the Bible. So, but what we're really saying is when it comes to actually living out or actually submitting to the authority of those verses that we have memorized. I don't really have any intention of living as if you're my king. Please excuse me. Or thanks for the invite. I'm just having a hard time reconciling problems of evil and pain because I've seen it. And if there's a good and loving God, I, I, you know, please excuse me. Thanks, but no thanks. But in reality, what may really be going deep on inside my own heart is that I have unresolved pain and hurt. And I, I don't know what to do with that. That's what I'm really saying. But, but please excuse me. I don't find that satisfactory. Those are things that we would never say out loud but we certainly think about. I have certainly been on every one of those places in my own heart. But then there's some of us who just plain think, I, I've made up my mind. I know. No thanks. I don't want to give up living my life. Maybe that's you here in this auditorium or maybe you're online today. I don't want to do it. I don't believe it. I like my life. No thanks. I don't want to change because it's my finances. How dare you? Really, how dare you? It's my sexual desires, my sexual preferences, and it, that's, it's mine. It's private. It's mine. No thanks. I don't want to change because I like my pleasure. I don't want to change because I care more about my preferences. Here's a tough one. I choose if and when I go to church. I choose how involved I get because other things are equally important, if not more so. My spiritual life is just that. It's mine, not God's. <laughs> this is hard. I know it. I'm convicted by these words here this morning. I was sadly mistaken that this didn't have a whole lot for me. And yet this whole week, I was offended at all that I was writing down and telling even Stacey, I don't really want to say any of these things because this is all true of my heart as I stand before you. I've bristled so many times at these excuses. But if you're like me and you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you might've felt a wave of conviction 
Let me point to God's grace to you and to me this morning as we close. The reality of many of our excuses is that they point really to what we love the most. The Bible puts it another way. We call them idols. And here's the thing. Those idols are not a surprise to God, even if they're a surprise to you this morning. the grace from Jesus himself to you and to me this morning. Jesus is showing you, he's showing me the excuses that we have for not taking his invitation to come into the banquet, to enter into his kingdom, show that I have misplaced my trust and my security. I've misplaced them. And today we can confess to Jesus himself. We can look at him. We can say to him, who sees our very hearts at this very moment, we can say to him, whatever our excuse, right now, really, this is your time. God, I am sorry. Forgive me. And maybe you need to say these words in your heart to the Lord. God, I'm sorry, forgive me. I've made too little time for you because I don't believe you when you say at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I believe they're found here. I believe they're found in my job. God, I'm sorry for that. I believe they're found in my bank account. I'm sorry for that. I believe they're found in my relationship with my spouse or if I finally get that relationship. I believe that my security and my trust is placed and found in those things. And God, I'm sorry for that. Forgive me. This morning, right now, Jesus, would you forgive me? He's looking at you and me this morning with open arms, just like he did to Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Grace Hill. Grace Hill. Oh, Evan, stop playing. Listen to my invitation. Take it. Tell him what's on your heart. Confess it to him. Don't delay now. You feel it. Do it. That is the Holy Spirit weighing and speaking to you here in your heart this morning. For those who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus ever, you too can share with God those very same excuses that keep you from trusting in Jesus. You can do it. You can say to him right now, I don't believe that you're there. I don't believe that you'll provide for me. I don't believe that you delight in me. You don't know what I've done. I don't think you can pull me through from this. I don't believe your word is relevant to the social issues of the day. It's far too complicated. You don't get it. I don't you can say this this morning in the quietness of your own heart but I want to I need your help to believe I need your help to trust give me your strength Jesus and I accept your invitation to come into your kingdom and into your banquet because you died for my sins and my excuses and you rose again from the dead so that if I trust in you that I can now come to your table forgive me Grace Hill Church. To either side of this that you come to this morning, as a follower of Jesus already, or one that has just put their faith in Christ today for the very first time, hear Jesus' response. Everything 
is ready.